1: Hey, friends, and welcome to Season 3 of Quit Your Day Job. I am your host, Alicia Fernandez-Miranda. In this podcast, you'll learn all about the fascinating jobs that people do, some that you might never have even heard of, as you contemplate your own possibilities. I started this podcast because I've always been fascinated by jobs. I even quit my own day job to spend a year as an intern, and you can read all about it in my new book, My What If Year?, It's out now and can be bought everywhere books are sold. Or head over to my website, aliciafmiranda.com, for more info. In these times of quiet quitting and great resignations and loud quitting or whatever, I think more people than ever want to follow their passion. Everyone on this podcast has. And I encourage you to do the same. The first time I listened to Emily Tish Sussman's podcast, She Pivots, I was completely sold and just knew this was a person I wanted to hear from on this podcast. And so I am so excited to share her episode with you today. Emily Tish Sussman is a podcast host, women's empowerment and family policy advocate, leading democratic political strategist, contributing editor to Marie Claire, mother of three, and she rocks purple hair better than anyone I've ever met. Emily is the host of the award-winning podcast, She Pivots, which features women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. After leaving her fast-paced job as the VP of campaigns at the largest Democratic think tank in DC, the Center for American Progress, she learned to redefine her own idea of success when she left the career she thought she would have forever. Emily is a seasoned host, interviewing countless leaders and influential women, including Vice President Kamala Harris, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Secretary Hillary Clinton, Stacey Abrams, and Sophia Bush, to name a few. I loved my chat with Emily and I hope you enjoy listening to it. All right. Everybody, welcome back to Quit Your Day Job. I am so excited to have Emily here with us today. Emily, thank you for joining us. I am so excited. This is truly my favorite topic. I could not be any more excited
2: for this conversation.
1: I love it. And I know that you are a mom and that you were up late last night. I've been getting up at like 5 a.m. worrying about things for my impending book tour. So Um, I'm glad this is audio and not video, although you look quite lovely. But we're just going to have a nice little chat. Love it. Love it. I I think I've got a fair amount of
2: concealer going on, even for an audio conversation. Like, I think (laughs) if I saw what I actually looked like right now, I would feel bad for myself. Like, I would would feel like, oh, God, don't listen to anything she's saying. So it is even just to put
1: me in the zone. All right, good. Well, I have my touch up your appearance feature on Zoom to, like, the maximum... Uh, setting and that's just what I do. And when somebody asks me to go on Google Meets, I'm like, no, I can't, I can't do it. You can, that's like high definition everything. There's no touch-up feature on Google Meets <laughs> unless I put myself in like a cat head or a mustache, I'm pretty out of luck. So we all look lovely and we're gonna say wonderful, intelligent things as we balance our families and our work and all the million things we have going on. Cause that's just kind of how we roll, I think. Exactly. This is what's real. You know, like you
2: really never know. I mean, it was, there was not a lot of reasoning at 1am with my two-year-old when she was ready to play,
1: thinking it was the middle of the day
2: to be like, <laughs> but I have a podcast in the morning. Like that, that was not resonating with her. That was not a convincing argument.
1: I'm sorry. Maybe she'll listen to this after the fact and feel bad about that when she's 30.
2: <laughs> I maybe mean, you know, one day. You know what I like to, you know what I like to tell my kids? I say, oh, just, you know, when they complain about something, I'm like, just put that on the list for therapy later. So good. <laughs> we'll just put this in as like background. Like we'll just give it to their future therapists as um like a PowerPoint to start with.
1: I love that. And they're so little. I love that you say this. I'm good to start them early. I think that probably makes sense.
2: Feel your feelings, you know, feel your feelings, but not to the point that it inconveniences me.
1: True. And not at one in the morning. Please don't feel them at one in the morning.
2: <laughs> no, you can feel them internally. You, you, they can be internal feelings at one in the morning.
1: Oh my gosh! Well, I cannot wait to hear all about your job. Before we really get into it, I usually start out with a little bit of this or that kind of speed round of quick questions that I have prepared for you. Are you ready? Potentially. <laughs> sip of coffee. We're have to be. Sip giant of coffee, coffee. Sip of coffee and let's go. Okay. Question number one: Do you prefer to vote in person or are you a postal voter?
2: Always in person and always early. I do it like the first day of early voting. I like to be free on election day and I don't like to have to worry that it's not going to happen. Like the presidential in 2022, like the Biden-Trump presidential, we had COVID on election oh, day. So I was really <laughs> glad.
1: <laughs> you I got oh my vote. gosh, thank goodness. Can you imagine? That would have been so stressful. Oh, it was so stressful. It was beyond. But by the way, I also feel like a quick
2: lightning round. This is actually like daily basis conversations. There's nothing that intim- feels intimidating about this.
1: There is, a, there is like zero intimidating, I promise. Yeah, like, in here. put, Not put
2: to really worry. existential questions in <laughs> also like, what happened? What
1: does dead mean? You know, yeah. and then
2: it's going to feel like a regular day with toddlers.
1: Exactly. I know. Actually, maybe that'll be next season. I'll have questions my kids have asked me and then I'll just throw them to. Totally. <laughs> All right. Question two, such a softball. Do you prefer TV or podcasting?
2: Uh, podcasting is the future obviously. I mean, it's all about the podcasting. Although I must confess, I really love some zone out reality TV, like Love Island, Love Island, Australia, not US (laughs) so much. Love is blind, whole genre really speaks to me.
1: Amazing. Oh my God. I need to put all this on my list. Have you seen the traders? That's like the one that ever, that's more competition, I guess, but everybody's obsessed with that.
2: People are obsessed with it. I have not seen it. It feels like maybe too
1: substantive for me. Yeah. Fair enough. You do. I think you have to think when you watch it. Oh, I'll put them all on my to-be-watched list while I'm zoning out. I love that too. Um, all right. Question three, who has more fun, blondes, brunettes, or people with purple hair? Uh, people with purple hair,
2: without question. It's a loaded I question. It was <laughs> a loaded question. I know this is audio. So for context, my hair is bright purple. It's gotten progressively more purple over the last year. The first day I came to school drop off with my hair um, one of the moms goes uh, in the nursery school. She goes, Oh, is that temporary? I was like, Nope, <laughs> it's a permanent choice.
1: And it is a permanent choice now. What inspired you to dye your hair purple, if you will share that?
2: I had medium long COVID last year. And at mm. the end of it, I was so tired of being out of it, like of being feeling sick. I was like, I am just running towards anything that gives me joy. And anything that gave me joy was not expending energy because I was still so drained. Yeah. So, you know, purple hair did it. I had it in my teens. And then I spent nearly two decades in federal policy in Washington, where I thought I was going to have to take my nose ring out until my first boss didn't notice it. And this just brings, purple hair brings me joy. And that is a permanent choice for me now.
1: It is also bringing me joy. I love it. And it's inspiring me. I dyed my hair blonde after the first lockdown because I like couldn't look at the same face in the mirror anymore. I was like, need something new. But now I kind of wish I would have gone purple. Well, there's always time. There, I, I'm telling you, this is your time.
2: <laughs> if you are waiting for the universe to give you a sign, this is your sign. This is it. This
1: is it. Yeah. I love it. All right. When you are on Zoom, what's on your bottom half? You dressed up or sweatpants?
2: Uh, I actually dress and i've always done it i've i feel like it's really important that i have to dress the way i feel like to be in character mm-hmm. basically i am a lawyer by training and when i took the bar exam people like notoriously show up to the bar exam in like sweatpants and like pajamas they've been sleeping in for a week i dressed like a lawyer like i wore a, like more seriously than i actually ever dressed in my professional life oh i wore my God. a suit <laughs> I wore makeup. I did my hair. Like I was the only person in the bar exam who looked halfway human. Although I'm going to give you a secret right now. I'm so obsessed with these pants that I'm wearing right now. They look like cool jeans, right? (gasps) Yes. They're actually sweatpants. Shut up. No, this is a picture. This is like (gasps) a picture of jeans. Every single day, my kids go, because I wear them every single day because I have two pairs. And my kids go, oh, it's a hole. No, it's a picture of a hole. (laughs) Like screen printed sweatpants. (gasps) These have been I like, am obsessed with that. I know. I got to tell you, these have changed my life.
1: I ha- I have so many Google searches for like yoga pants that are dress pants, that look like dress pants, yoga pants that look like jeans, yoga pants that look like... Basically, if I could just wear sweats or leggings all day long. I am actually wearing jeans today, which is only because I went out for lunch earlier than this. If not, I would still be in sweatpants. But they don't look like jeans. Those are awesome. I think we need to link to them in the show notes for this. For sure. Well, I really appreciate the
2: full dress for this audio. I appreciate you
1: got so dressed up for us. Thank you. I did. No makeup, but very dressed up for you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Final question, because I read in your bio that you were a musical theater fan. What is your favorite musical?
2: Oh my God, I am a musical theater fan beyond. I love it so much. What is my favorite musical? I feel like it depends on my mood, to be honest with you. Like if I'm, when I'm making breakfast in the morning, I play a lot of In the Heights. Yeah. Also, I recently showed my kids a local middle school and high school production of Chicago. So we're now going to see it on Broadway this weekend. Oh my God, that's amazing. For their birthdays. So like, I can really get down with that. I mean, you know, Hamilton always... Encanto rocks, like Encanto jams. I'm not going to downplay the music of Encanto. So good. Do Hansen if I want to really cry? Greatest Showman, you know, if I'm working out for sure.
1: I love it. How old are your kids that you're taking them to Chicago? Uh,
2: young, six, four, and two. Obsessed. Yeah, we're, the two-year-old went to the middle school version. She's not making it to the Broadway. Okay. Um, but <laughs> we're going. My four-year-old is turning five and, and the six-year-old. But they've done... I've already taken them to The Lion King on Broadway and I took them to the recent production of Into the Woods. Love and they it. were good. They made it through the whole thing. So I went to a theater camp when I was young. So a girl that I went to camp with is in this Broadway production. So she's going to give us, you know, how cool. Like the the nothing actually. She's offered nothing. But you're I'm very gonna see excited. Her, you're going to see her on stage. <laughs> but we're going to see her on Broadway and we're going to get pizza afterwards which we are very excited about. That so we're excited about Chicago. So-
1: But um, I'm also obsessed with musicals. There's a lot about that in my book. Also, my parents were obsessed with musicals and they played Rent on repeat on cassette when my youngest brother was really little and he was obsessed with the show. So when he was, I think, four or five, they took him to see Rent and he knew... Every time there was a bad word coming, and he had to cover his ears. So in the Broadway show, they would be singing, and he would just keep covering his ears every time there was like a curse word that would come up. Which I just think. Was okay, the that is the cutest thing.
2: thing I've ever heard. And also, how did I not say Rent as a favorite?
1: I would probably just have to say Rent. We could will... keep going. I know we we st- you stuck with modern, but actually, we could go way back. I bet there would be. A... I know
2: we could go way back. I'll tell you something. I'm actually beginning to enter theater on the investment side. <gasps> this is this is breaking news. This is just starting for me. So I'm going to break some news here. So I am a producer on a new Broadway show called Shucked,
0: which <gasps> okay. is coming out. I've this heard about it? And it's yes.
2: hilarious. Um, and we've also formed a production investment fund with two friends of
1: mine, and it is called Eastern Standard Time as a reference <gasps> to rent. Okay, so one hundred percent, will you hire me as your intern? I'm free, so just <laughs> I'm throwing that out there. That's number one because that is my dream. I but also how much fun must that be to be on the other side and to be, oh God, that's so fantastic. Just starting it. It's, it's you know, it's in line with the purple
2: hair. It's quitting the day job. Like it's running towards the things that bring me joy and the things that I feel like align with my values and interests. And also that I want to do things I don't know how to do. Like, I feel like I've spent my career up until this point
1: building up skills. And now I want to go towards things that I don't know how to do. Well, that is basically the premise of my entire last three years and my book and this podcast. So I am 100% here for you. I will happily intern for you for free. And you (laughs) have nailed this lightning round and we broke some exclusive news. So I'm pretty excited. (laughs) We've covered a lot of ground just in lightning. I know. It's, okay. All right. That was fabulous. So let's talk about your job. You wear many different hats, um, but I would like to know if you were talking to my 11-year-old twins, how would you explain to them what you do for work? Do they know what podcasts are? That's
2: would be where they I do, start. They do know
1: what podcasts are.
2: Okay. So I'd probably say I am a podcast host who talks to women who are finding their strength in all sorts of places and defining their careers that way. I'd say that's probably the biggest, I think that's probably the simplest way to describe it.
1: And are you still doing a lot in politics at the moment? Have you moved away from that while you've been focusing on She Pivots? Because you have this incredible background. You've done so many different things. Thanks. I I, I probably
2: should have mentioned the fact that the show is called She Pivots. In case case anyone's interested, I'm so good at promoting my own show. The show is called She Pivots. Let's plug it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, my career was as... As a lawyer, as a a campaign strategist, I worked on federal campaign strategy in Washington. Um, I did that for about 15 years. I consulted for a number of years, but I just found that I couldn't keep up in the way that I needed to, to be working at the level that I felt like I was comfortable with, know how to do, like, I don't know how to do a, I'm sure no one can tell by this conversation, but I don't really know how to do things on like a medium level. (laughs) So. (laughs) Medium is overrated. Yeah, I'm real surprised to all the listeners, but it was really frustrating and it was impossible to me. And so I just felt like a total failure all the time. And I just thought about how do I redefine success? How do I redefine my own ambition? It was more about how I was redefining it for myself than I than it was for other people. Like I could still do a little bit of political consulting, but that wasn't that wasn't satisfactory to me. And I felt like I was honestly kind of like hustling in a way that didn't make sense anymore. Like I wasn't in the mix the way I was when I lived in Washington and when I was in it full time. So the amount of hustling that I had to do to make like a small consulting consulting agreement work, like didn't, just wasn't really making sense. So mm. I thought I was totally walking away from politics to be starting She Pivots. I'm now an editor with Marie Claire magazine. You know, I thought I was totally leaving politics to do it. It turns out I can never really leave it. And I ended up, I've just changed my focus a little bit. And now I'm looking super local. Like I was involved in our local congressional race. I worked on our local affordable housing initiative. I'm on our school board. Like I'm just getting super local in a way that I could have never envisioned myself doing even probably a year ago. Like definitely not when I worked on a federal level. And probably even a year ago, I had have never envisioned just having like a really hyper local focus and channeling
1: maybe a little too much energy for the locals, but, you know, channeling it there. I bet they love it. I want to go back to what you said about feeling like you were failing at what you're doing, because I think, you know, anybody looking at your bio and what you've done and what you've accomplished would be so surprised to hear you say that because, you know, I mean, maybe not if they've listened to you talk because you're extremely honest and authentic when you talk about your experiences. But I think, you know, you have done so much. How, how long was this period of time where you were thinking, I'm not doing this the way I want to be doing it. I'm going to go do something else. Play that out for us in terms of like months, years. How long did that take you to get to that point where you actually made those changes?
2: years i mean truly years from the minute i got pregnant i had three not great pregnancies right in a row i was sick but more than i was sick which i, I feel like this is a symptom that not a lot of people talk about the extreme exhaustion i mean mm. i couldn't even keep my eyes open like my my brain was foggy I, the so i had a i had a a great job i ran campaigns at the largest progressive think tank in washington and The job had been designed for me. Like I was a hustler, a hard worker, long hours. And so the way that I had designed the job was that I had my hands in everything and I could move a lot of different pieces and keep a lot of different campaigns in my mind at the same time. And it was constantly changing as the news cycle changed, like every couple of hours. And that was the right fit for me. Like we designed mm. it because I liked that and I could work that way. But if my brain was suddenly totally foggy, I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, And I was so embarrassed and so frustrated with myself that I would do anything I could to try to hide it. So that happened through all of my first pregnancy i didn't end up going to work on the 2016 presidential campaign because i was pregnant mm-hmm. i had never seen a pregnant person work on a campaign i'd never seen a person with kids and i couldn't imagine how i could be how i could work on a campaign feeling the way that i did like as it was i would go home at like 6 or 7 which was early for me and be dead, like a a corpse. So I couldn't imagine working campaign hours and continuing to do it, but it was, it killed me. Like it was really hard for me. It ended up opening different doors. Mm -hmm. So I had already been on TV for a couple of years as a political commentator. And because I wasn't on the campaign, I was doing much more commentary. So at, so in the 2016 race, I was on, I think that cycle, I did a lot of CNN. So I was on CNN like every day in particular, um, as well as Fox News and MSNBC and CBS and other networks. Um, So I ended up getting more airtime than if I had been on the campaign. So if I look objectively, that was probably from the outside, like a pretty good move. (laughs) Internally, I was so frustrated. I was like, I don't want to be talking about this. I want to be doing it. Uh, so, you know, th- that was the beginning of feeling like I was failing and it kind of only got worse from there. Like my son was eight months when I got pregnant again. So I was now wow. sick again with an eight month old who I didn't really feel a strong connection to, you know, some people say like, Oh, I, you know, the second I saw the baby, like it was like, like I mean, I just kept thinking, Oh, thank God those contractions are over. Like that mm. was It was just not, I didn't feel like I never really connected with babies. I actually still don't really connect with babies, including my own. I Mm. sort of felt lukewarm towards them until they were two. And then I was like, oh, now you can, now you hold my interest. (laughs) Now, now I'm in, now I'm interested. But so I was so frustrated that I was physically destroyed. I was mentally destroyed. And it it was, I think there's a narrative around like, oh, this sacrifice for our families and for our children. And I just didn't really feel like the, the sacrifice was worth it. Yeah. So that was unbelievably frustrating for me. Um, and then I had a third child, <laughs> all accidental, by the way. All three <laughs> children were accidental. My mother kept walking around saying, Emily can't figure out how to be a lawyer, but she can't figure out how to not get pregnant. <laughs> that was nice. <laughs> Thanks, mom. Thanks, mom. Really so supported. But, and so, You know, all I just kept thinking was like, how do I hold on to my career? Like, how do I hold on to my political career? And I thought I had kind of figured out how I was going to do it after I had had the third. But then we went into a lockdown. Oh, my gosh. And a presidential campaign. So my kids were two, three, and three weeks old when we went into the lockdown. And if I thought I was broken before, I mean, forget about it. Like, the whole Mm -hmm. thing was predicated on the fact that I would have a support network.
1: Yeah, that I would have child and care. Other people could come into your house and
2: help and you. Other people <laughs> could come <laughs> into my house. Family, anybody, literally anybody. <laughs> I mean, for I mean, literally anybody. I mean, even at the time, like I had just moved a block from my sister. Like that even seemed like, you know, something that I could do. And then that all was evaporated. And so I had to be really realistic about the fact that anything I thought existed did not exist. The kind of career I thought I could have could not exist for me for the immediate future, maybe forever. Like, I couldn't see a world in which my brain would be clear enough Mm. that I could do the kind of job that I had done before and work the same kind of way. I honestly still can't. Like, what did I do before this? got three kids to school, picked up donuts and party hats for my son's half birthday, got eye drops for my daughter's probable pink eye that I just sent her to school with. (laughs) And and I walked in two minutes before we recorded. You know what I mean? Like I could not, the the time, I always said I am my worst self getting my kids out the door, Mm. whether it's in the morning or going anywhere. I am a version of myself that I never wished I would see. (laughs) And yet I still see it on a somewhat daily basis. Because my brain is thinking about where I want to go professionally for the Mm -hmm. day. Like I'm already starting that pre-work commute gear up. Totally. And yet my children are being worse than they are for the entire rest of the day. And that is when I am my worst self and there is a lot of yelling
1: going on. I so feel that. I do. I feel like the morning, like hour before school is like six hours of energy of my day. (laughs) Oh my god! Like I, it was it was better for a while when they learned to dress themselves, and now that I'm in the preteen stage and I'm getting like, oh, why do I have to get out of bed? This is so awful! You ruined my life by making me go to school. I'm like, Mm-mm, just come on! But it is it is a lot. It is a lot, and I appreciate how you write and you speak so openly about. The sides of motherhood that are not always the pretty, beautiful, Instagrammable, you know, this is the greatest thing that ever happened to me because it is extremely challenging. And I think for people who have been very ambitious, have been chasing their career for a long time, that has been the focus. Having kids is a real shift in terms of what you want to do and what you're able to do. Selling a little or a lot. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zeppound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So you I have, we were just talking before we started recording about uh, this quote on your pot, on your bags, my kids killed my career. You wrote this great piece about it. You know, how do people respond to that? And how do people respond? Do you, I mean- I'm loving it. So I'm sure you have tons of fans out there. You know, have you been surprised by what the reaction has been or is it kind of as you expected?
2: Do you know what's interesting about it is that I think for the people that it resonates with that have that level of self-awareness and are not embarrassed by the fact that their kids killed their career, they love it. Like, you know, you you are my real key (laughs) demographic I am your target audience here, for sure. You are for sure my target audience. (laughs) But I think for people that are a little more still in it, it's too soon. Mm. And I, so, you know, people will sort of like chuckle or be like, yeah, like, that's so me, but like, not that loudly. Right. Like that actually did surprise me. Like I'm out here yelling it. And I think it's a way for me to go through it myself. Like, do I still mm-hmm. have moments where, you know, I wish that I still had the same political career and I'm not. And I'm, of course I do. Like that part of me is not dead, Like it's funny for my friends who are, my friends in Washington and still in politics from their perspective, it looks like I've pivoted and had and and I'm killing it, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've left politics. I'm like in a different, I'm a whole different. You're world. slaying. And, you get to go buy donuts in the morning. How lucky are you? Exactly. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. I mean, the thing that that I that like plagues me is that I never worked in the White House. Mm. I worked with the Obama White House. I did work for them all the time. I never had a job in the White House, and that is the thing that. That kills me. That like I I I never did it. And I when at the beginning of the Biden administration, I had tons of friends who was going who were going in, and I was so jealous. Thelma. And then I talked I talked to a friend of mine who had this great job in the White House that I totally would have wanted. And she was like, you know, the time that I can catch up is my commute to work before our morning call. That's the time that we can, I can talk. And we talked for like you know nine minutes on that commute or whatever it was <laughs> for her. And she's and I knew that she was in her dream job too. And she said to me, I do not see my children. I leave before they go to school. I come home after they go to bed. I do, I'm do. i so stressed on the weekends. I do not see them. And she ended up leaving that job after about a year, which I was wow. surprised because I knew it was her dream job. But then I also realized that she, she was checking that professional box for her and living that dream. And it was so unsatisfactory on the professional side. That it was unsustainable. And so I have to remind myself, yeah, I can buy donuts and I'm going to go read ship's work for my son's half birthday at school. And by the way, his, his birthday is in August and he was jealous that everyone else has
1: birthday. You would never hear it. from me any criticism of celebrating half birthday. I still celebrate my own half birthday every year, much to my poor family's chagrin. I'm like, where's my half cake? Where is my <laughs> half card? <laughs> We're running so, towards the things that bring us joy. I exactly. Love it. You might be creating a birthday monster for the future, but don't worry about that now. Just, just enjoy it. I say. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, politics has always been a part of your life, but equally, and probably, I would guess, inspired by your activism and the issues that you feel really passionate about, and you get so involved with a number of different progressive causes. And I want to ask you about motivation because you know we had some real dark years there. Had slash have let's let's just uh i mean you know i think i think probably people are in a different range of opinions about that but it's been a really challenging time for people that are behind progressive causes how do you keep yourself you know clearly you're still motivated whether that's going to be on a local level or whatever it is that you're doing how do you keep yourself going especially when you're working on issues where progress takes so long and and you may not see the fruits of your labor for a very long time yeah, I mean anything you work on is going to is going to take a while
2: like to really have serious change. The first job I worked on in Washington, I I worked for a small nonprofit organization where we represented LGBT members of the military who were being kicked out under the Don't Ask Don't Tell law. Mm-hmm. So I worked on repealing the law where we had success. And even at the time I thought to myself, this is the probably the only time in my career where we're just going to have a win. Like, otherwise, it's always going to be a little bit compromised. <laughs> it's like, this will be the only time where we just win. Um, and I think that that's actually kind of why I go back and forth a little bit between working on issues or working for candidates or working locally or working federally. Because, like, as it starts to feel a little weighing... I gotta kind of change it up a mm. little. like that you know that drive for change is always there, but I have to change the motivation, the the, the context a little bit. Like I, I was drawn to working on federal campaigns and federal issues because the scale is so massive. Mm. Like we can change so many people's lives when we work on that level, but it's also really slow and long and big. And so when there's wins there, it's great, but it is also kind of slow. You know, now I'm looking super locally where change, I mean, we won our, in some areas around here on the affordable housing initiative we had on the ballot this fall, we won by like a hundred votes in some places. Like that's very tangible change, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, when you hit like a hundred doors, like, you know, when you hit a hundred people. So yes, our scale is, is smaller. But our change is more tangible and our impact is more tangible. And I feel that way going between issues and working on candidates, too. Like, you know, the thing that drew me to candidate campaigns, so, you know, that's a presidential, it's a congressional, is that it's win-loss. I really liked that. Like Mm -hmm. There's no loss with an asterisk, but I tried really hard. Like, I, I that that kind of that actually doesn't really appeal to me to work on something mm. like that. Like, it I goes like along re- with
1: your not liking things in at medium. You either win yeah. or you lose. Not like I,
2: I like a real hard judgment on, uh, you know, like how we're doing, but. You know, that can be really defeating when you have a series of losses. You know, I worked on the the 2010 Tea Party wave in Congress. I was working on Congress in 2014 when we really lost big all over the country. Like, those kinds of losses can be really defeating. I Look, I mean, I was not on the campaign, but I was still involved in 2016 in Donald Mm -hmm. Trump's election. Like, those kinds of things can be really defeating, and you think, oh, my God, the country is not going in the same direction that I was going in, and it's hard to find the kind of motivation to keep going, but that ended up opening, again, like opening doors that I didn't know had been open. So in 2016, where I, the think tank where I worked was called, people would call it the White House in waiting. Like people were literally had their offices packed up to go work in the Clinton White House. Wow. And I was on maternity leave for the entire fall So I, I took time and went on TV, but I wasn't in the office. I wasn't like getting ready for the White House and, you know, for the Clinton administration. So my first day back from maternity leave was the Monday after the election. I mean, if you thought your workplace was a sad sack on that Monday, try going to the Clinton White House (laughs) and waiting. I mean, people didn't show up. They were just sobbing. There was, there was no, there was actually no work to be done because, People were not prepared for it. But I came in with that newly off of maternity leave hyper focus where I had to prove myself Mm -hmm. as the same worker as when I'd got on before. And I had a little bit of a clearer head because I hadn't been in the day-to-day the way that everyone else had. So I came in much clearer on day one and was like, okay, we're going to snap into shape. We're going to find, we're going to figure out what we do in a Trump administration. Like we're going to find this. And so that actually ended up providing a big pathway, of professional opportunity for me where I could lead our turnaround internally
1: as to how we actually had value in this new world. That's fantastic. I mean, I do not want to remember those days and times. I wish I would have had a little you like on the phone <laughs> saying, like, no, no, it's okay. The world hasn't ended. We're just, we're all gonna move forward. <laughs> well, I mean, what was actually
2: really interesting in that time is what I ended up doing is that every friend group, every community had the one friend they were listening to. Like that little you on the phone was, who it was you? like, you, this is how we're moving forward. <laughs> it was not me, but everybody's email lists where they were emailing out to their friends or their Twitter thread or whatever they were doing overnight went to like 50,000 people because it just got forwarded and forwarded and everybody was looking for something. And so actually a lot of what I was doing at that time was going and finding what I would almost call like those micro political influencers and saying, Hey, you have a great list. You also have a day job. So like you probably don't have enough bandwidth to be looking for content every day we are a think tank. Can I be providing that content for you Fantastic. and you put it out to your... And then that was a huge part of what I ended up doing at that time because everybody was looking for that friend they trusted.
1: Yeah, that's so tenacious. I love that. So, okay. So now we're in this phase where we're chasing joy. You, I say that we... I do mean that collectively. I'm also doing it. You're out there chasing joy. The podcast is so wonderful Tell me a little bit about the nuts and bolts of kind of how it works. So I had a
2: political podcast when I left. I had done TV commentary for a long time and I had a political podcast when I left the think tank when I had my first, after I had my second kid because I was so frustrated that I felt like people, like oh, I, a lot of my job at the think tank was trying to translate big federal political topics to regular people and we just couldn't do it. Like we just never did it successfully. And I thought, well- I talk like a regular person, right? Like, I can talk about it relatively. So I had done that for a couple of years. And going into the Biden, the beginning of the Biden um, administration, the country was feeling fatigued. Mm-hmm. I was feeling fatigued. I was like, oh my God, like, I have to talk about other things. And am I capable of talking about other things? And would anybody listen to me talking about other things? Like, I, I honestly wasn't really sure. So I spent, a a good couple of months trying to figure out how would I do this and would anybody listen and did I have ideas that people were interested in and I kept coming back to the thing that I needed was this redefining of ambition and redefining Mm. of success and I didn't want to hide the fact that I felt so crushed because because of personal reasons. Right. Like, professionally, I had done everything right. And that wasn't why I was failing. Mm-hmm. And I just kept coming back to that. And basically, I needed these stories of inspiration for myself. And so how do I get people to tell me their stories? I tell them I'm doing a podcast.
1: Is that <laughs> <amazing>? <laughs> it is true.
2: People will usually say yes.
1: <laughs> you
2: know what it turns out people say yes to? You, talking about themselves. Yeah
1: secret. That's the secret of success is asking people to talk about themselves. I firmly believe that. (laughs) hundred
2: percent. I'm like, oh, you are my idol. Could I ever get you to talk to me? No. Will I tell you it's for the public consumption?
1: Yes.
2: (laughs) 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 So that was where it came from. I had a relationship with a bunch of media outlets because I had been doing, I had written for a couple of years about how moms can get involved in elections. Again, coming from this place of I feel like I can talk in a kind of plain way mm-hmm. to bring people into the fold but the what the show was and how we put it together is did change many times is continuing to change when I first thought about doing it I thought it was the beginning, it was like the beginning of vaccines. Mm-hmm. And so everybody's calendars were totally clear and they were got, starting to get antsy and looking for things to do. Yeah. And I thought, okay, the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to do an event and I'm going to invite all of these people and give them an award. And then part of getting the award is that you have to sit down with an interview for me. And that was how I thought- That is I thought,
1: uh, so brilliant. That is so okay. brilliant.
2: Okay, kind of. It was like, yeah, 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 it was. I'm not going to downplay myself. Yeah, it totally was. I mean, it didn't work. So in that way, I will downplay it. But And then I thought, I'll get a media sponsor. I'm going to build an entire um, sponsorship package around it because, you know, marketing for in-person at that moment was like blowing up. But mm-hmm. so that's how I'm going to do it. So I filed a company. I filed a trademark. I came up with a name, okay? Built this com- this around this idea. I went through an entire intellectual property search for it as well, by the way. And so they told me that Pivot Awards was a safe name. I could definitely (laughs) trademark this. And I was like, yes, amazing. Okay, so fast forward a couple of months, we go through a couple of more evolutions. Turns out everyone got their ants out of their pants of showing up in public. I also realized I actually could pitch people and they would show up on my show. Like I think I had been down You didn't need to give them the award, (laughs) baby. Yeah, right. And also, I don't know how to put on a huge event and the person that I thought was my partner in the event dropped out. Mm -hmm. Like- all of these evolutions of the nuts and bolts of it coming together, right? Okay. So I have my brilliant show. I'm doing it with Marie Claire Magazine. I am launching my new brand. I am not just a political strategist. I am the queen of the pivot. Yeah. Here it goes. I launched into the world. I immediately get served with a cease and desist order <gasps> from the trademark owner of Pivot... Which is Vox Media, which is a massive corporation. <laughs> Hold on. <gasps> yes. So I was like, oh, great job launching myself as a huge professional into the world. I've totally botched the rollout. And by the way, I've now looped in Marie Claire Magazine, and I don't know if I should tell them that I've now been like, pre- I'm like pre sued. Oh, God. <laughs> So this is, it's because I had done the trademarks, they're done Pivot Awards. So I went back to our attorney and was like, uh, well, hello. <laughs> tell them that I own this trademark. And he was like, no, you don't. You trademarked Pivot Award, oh, not God. Pivot as a podcast. It turns out the way you use it is totally changed. Mm. So fast forward to We Are Now She Pivots. It's a better name anyway. I love it. I love it. Do you know what's so funny is that I had wanted to keep it as not she pivots as pivot because I wanted the possibility of interviewing men, and then I actually decided that men aren't um, self aware enough to <laughs> to be on the show to have these enough. interesting conversations. I'm like,
1: that's ah, fine. <laughs> I have. I have. This is not a podcast with only women, but it is ninety percent. of my guests have been women, but I do like to bring a man in every now and then as a, you know, good, good for diversity and representation. I let them them come on.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When I talked to a friend who's sort of in a similar space at one time, I was like, well, I'm not sure what to do. And she goes, haven't we heard enough from them? (laughs) And I was like, we have. She pivots. She pivots.
1: pivots. Well, Emily, your podcast is amazing. You are phenomenal. I have loved getting to learn about you. I normally ask people for advice to do what they do, but actually I would like to know, you know, you've spoken to so many incredible women who have made major pivots. You have made a number of pivots in your life. So what advice would you give to someone who's thinking about making their own pivot? Uh,
2: I think, think really realistically about what, your goals are and what you want to lose and what you can afford at that time. I've heard from so many versions of women of women of versions of how they did it. And what's so clear is there's not one roadmap. Mm. Often the women on my show that I interview, because, you know, we're trying to put like the extreme versions, had like a really extreme thing happen. It doesn't have to be a really extreme thing that happens in your life, but you do need to be really realistic about should you be looking to do something on the side right now to keep your primary income? How much bandwidth do you have? Isn't it going to be a long tail? I mean, even just this week, I was speaking to a friend who just got laid off. And she's mm-hmm. so she, now she's trying to figure out how she takes the the thing that she's always had this idea of doing and launch it. And she was feeling a lot of pressure on herself to have the idea right away. And I said, no, 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 this is your ideation phase. Mm-hmm. This, is your, this is the time that you go around and you and you bounce ideas off. And like, that is at least a six-month runway. Like, do not be putting too much pressure on yourself to say, I have to have my idea by the end of the week and I have to start building it. So figure out what the clear thing is that you want and figure out what you want to get rid of. And the form will come to you as you start to have those conversations, as you go with your inner circle and as you open it up and reach out, you know, potentially to experts, to people that may do it in the field. People do love to talk about themselves and you can reach out to pretty much anyone and ask them for (laughs) advice and they will say, yes, let me (laughs) talk about myself much more so than you think.
1: That's amazing. Or consider starting a podcast and just invite people on it to come and talk about themselves too. Works every time. Every time. Emily, this has been so wonderful. Where can people find out more about you and what you're up to with all of your various hats that you wear? Uh, So She
2: Pivots is anywhere you get podcasts. We are starting a new episode in just a a new season, rather, in just a couple of weeks, starting with Vice President Kamala Harris, which is super exciting. Amazing. We have have great stories that are out there before. You can find us on Instagram at She Pivots the Podcast. And those are pretty much the places. We're
1: still on Twitter, but I'm scared of it, so.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you so much for coming on Quit Your Day Job. Thank you
1: so much for having me. I loved it. Thanks so much for listening to Quit Your Day Job. We are produced by Zibi Audio and want to send a huge thanks to Zibi Owens, Chelsea Grogan, and the team at Texture Sound for their support. Don't forget to buy your copy of my What If Year, which is out now. You can also sign up for my mailing list on aliciafmiranda.com or find me on Instagram at aliciafmiranda. It's the best place to hear about future podcasts and of course memes about Gilmore Girls. And if you decide to quit your day job, Please share that too.